What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. Today is Tuesday, February 19th, 2019. The franchise tag window is open. How exciting. Nothing has happened. That's how it works in the franchise tag situation in 2019, apparently. I'm Will Brinson. I am your host for CBS Sports' daily NFL podcast. Yes, it's the offseason. No, we don't care. We're doing daily. Uh, actually, it's easy to do daily because we have the AAF to talk about. And coming up on this show, Ben Kerchival of CBS Sports will break down the uh, weekend's action, which lasted well until late Sunday night. Um, uh, really, pretty much the plan of the All-Star game is the, the interesting thing on, on Sunday night. Uh, we'll break down that AAF action coming up soon. Let's run through some news and notes first. I am flying solo for this intro part. I know that some of you have weird things about that. I don't care. Um, I'm at my parents' house. I took a train here. It's just how it works. Don't worry about it. It's a long story. You don't want to hear it. But let's talk about some news. So notably, when you look at Jason Lock and Forrest's franchise tag column, ranking the likelihood that guys will be tagged. I'm going to run through this real quick just to give you kind of a primer for what's coming up in the next two weeks. Fortnite, if you will, for the, for the, for the, uh, for the non-millennials out there. Demarcus Lawrence of the Dallas Cowboys is to me the biggest lock in, in the book to be franchise tagged for the second year in a row. I think he wants to make somewhere between uh, 25 and 30 million dollars a year. Like an insane amount of money. An insane amount of money that he wants. And he's going to get it. He's worth it. He's young. He's rushed the passer. Uh, he's played it at a high level against the run as well. Cowboys were one of the best defenses last year. He's going to be 27 after this season. Um, the Cowboys have to figure out, as, as JLC notes, Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, and Zeke Elliott in terms of contracts. So just handing DeMarcus Lawrence a pile of money is not a guaranteed thing here. They have a lot of work to do. They're not going to let him walk. They will try and hammer out a deal, and if they can't get one done, they will tag him. That's just how it's going to work. His agent is not going to like it. Demarcus Lawrence is not going to like it. Um, but he might play out the year on the tag and just see what happens. Because if he stays healthy again, he, he could be looking at like $35 million a year. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not even kidding. Something insane. Um, Grady Jarrett of the Atlanta Falcons listed under virtually certain. I think that's that's actually – he might be the bigger lock than Demarcus Lawrence because when you start looking at the cost to tag a defensive tackle, we're talking about a lot less money uh, than a defensive end. And, and Jarrett, not, I don't want to say he's more important to the to the to the Falcons than, than Lawrence to the Cowboys, but I think losing Jarrett would give the the Falcons this gaping hole in, in the middle of the in the middle of defense, and they just can't do it. So it's it's almost hard for them. Not to, uh, you know, not to, not to roll out the red carpet for Mr. Jarrett or the, actually, I guess it's the opposite of the red carpet. Cause if you get the franchise tag, you're not happy about it. So, um, anyway, as JLC notes, jobs are on the line down there and letting him sniff the market is not in the cards. They will try and sign him. Now, I, I think it's crazy. I had to talk to my dad about this on, on Monday night, but like, I think it's crazy that the Steelers are going to pay Le'Veon Bell $14 million, uh, for a one year deal on the transition tag and just try and sort of, you know, play this game of chicken with him when it comes to the, the CBA and, and the tag and all of that. Um, certainly they want to trade him. 
and try and recoup something immediately instead of waiting for for a compensatory pick down the road. Uh, presumably, it would be a third round pick based on uh, Bell's ability to sign with another team and be the bell cow there. One would think if you were a free agent, he would sign with the Jets or, or, or maybe the 49ers or even the Raiders, get a lot of action, uh, put up some big numbers, and and certainly give the Steelers a third-round pick. They want to get something better than that. So they're going to try and transition tag him and see what happens. And if history is any, any indication, Bell's not going to be thrilled about signing that deal, and he's probably not going to walk into it and uh and deal with it. I would I would put um those are the three virtually certain guys for for Lock and Fora. I would argue that three of Jason's high guys this is high, like pretty pretty like pretty good likelihood. I would put three of these guys in virtually certain. Frank Clark to me for the Seahawks, they're not letting that dude walk out of there. He was a high draft pick for them, a guy who had issues coming out of Michigan, uh was drafted anyway. Ended up, you know, becoming this freak of nature force who can rush the passer and they have a defense that has put them in a position to really be a dominant team again in the NFC West. They're not going to let this guy walk out of the building and hit free agency. He's getting tagged, man. He's getting tagged. Landon Collins, I think is actually the guy who might make it to free agency because safeties are a weird spot. The market's been soft. Maybe you don't tag a safety. I don't, I don't know. Landon Collins is an all pro, uh, you know, he made an all pro team in his first two years. It's a, it's a weird spot. Dave Gettleman has rescinded the franchise tag with Josh Norman. He might not be willing to pay a, a, a defensive back franchise money. I think Dave Gettleman for, you know, whatever people, I don't know, people have, People bash Dave Gettleman. I don't know. Do they? Do they? People maybe for the Saquon Barkley thing, but Dave Gettleman, I believe, operates under the uh, the actual spirit of the law when it comes to the franchise tag, and he's not trying to uh, use the tag in order to hold leverage over somebody's head. Like he's legitimately willing to negotiate with somebody if they are willing to you know take you know to to engage in negotiations. And I don't know that Landon Collins at you know, at his age, with his success, at his position, is going to find a negotiable number with Dave Gettleman, who might just be willing to let him walk into free agency. Uh, D Ford, no way is Kansas City, with their defense and their uh, their lack of defense, as it were, and their Super Bowl aspirations, no way are they letting D Ford walk into free agency. That dude put up numbers this year, former first-round pick for the Chiefs, has played well for stretches, looked like maybe a bit of a bust, still very young, plays a premium position. He is sticking around Kansas City. I, I, I mean, I get that JLC is saying he thinks he'll be there. I'm saying it's guaranteed. Now, I, I, is, it, is it JLC? He's saying, the uh, yeah, they were leaning against going this route during the season. But now they're, they're probably heading that way. I think it's, I think it's a lock. There's no way the Chiefs, who since Andy Reid has gotten there, have been more than willing to bust out that franchise tag. They use it on Dwayne Bow. I mean, Dwayne Bow, come on. Um, they, yeah, they're going to use it on D4. They're not letting a, a premier pass rusher walk out of the building, especially when they could be losing other big name defenders. Justin Houston, Eric Berry, who knows? Uh, Jadavin Clowney's the other guy. Listed under high that I think is an absolute lock as well too. There's just no way Clowney might not take what the what the Texans want him to take, but he will play a year on this guaranteed cash. Take the cash, 
try and parlay it into a monster season, and then try and hit free agency after next year. But I do not see a situation where they let him walk into free agency. He would make too much money. He's been, you know, he hadn't lived up to the, um, hit, hit the, not the Michigan guy's helmet off hype that everybody expected when SportsCenter ran that hit nine million times in a row for seven straight days. Um, but he's been, I mean, kind of better in terms of being an all around player. He's great against a run, rushes the passer. He's playing against, with JJ Watt on the other side. He's, but, but look, I mean, he, you don't let Clowney walk. He's still young. Um, and then the, the other, this work is interesting. The moderate Nick Foles, the, it's tough. Can you really tag Nick Foles? If the Eagles tag Nick Foles and they, you know, put this franchise tender on him, it's $25 million and they have to find somebody to trade with him. Otherwise they're paying their backup quarterback $25 million. I don't see Howie Roseman being willing to do that. I don't know what you think you're going to get with Jacksonville if you have a $25 million cash number on Nick Foles. He's going to demand more money when he gets there anyway. It feels like a fait accompli to, to a certain extent that Foles will end up in Jacksonville and it will probably be a situation where the team is, you know, the, the Jaguars know it. The Eagles know it. The Jaguars leverage is minimal because they basically have Teddy Bridgewater out there and Dwayne Haskins if he makes it to him in the draft. And there's just not a lot of options. So, um, do they take the money and, you know, I mean, like, or do, do they take, do they, do they engage with the, with the Eagles early in trade talks, maybe through back channels to say, look, put the tag on him. We'll figure out a trade for him. Or do they try and gamble with the idea that Nick Foles will come there in free agency? Uh, from Lock and Fora, smart people I talk to around the league think the Eagles do apply the tag in the end. Uh, he notes personally, I would not. I would not either. It's a risk. It's a nasty game of chicken. You might trade him, but you might end up with a $25 million backup quarterback. And best case scenario, you have a controversy on your hands with Carson Wentz and Nick Foles once again this offseason. Uh, two linemen who are, who are going to be very much in the mix. Donovan Smith for the Buccaneers. Trent Brown for the Patriots. I think both could be candidates for both are candidates for the franchise tag. I I don't think the Patriots will use the tag on Trent Brown. They've used it, I believe, twice um, since the new CBA came around. Once on Stephen Goskowski. I think Trey Flowers is more likely to get the tag from them than Trent Brown, but that's mostly because they have Isaiah Wynn waiting in the wings. Now look, they don't, they probably don't win that Super Bowl without Trent Brown stepping in when he did, playing a position they didn't think he could play, being Tom Brady's left tackle, and, uh, and ultimately helping that offensive line coalesce in the way it did and run the ball down the Chargers throats and the Chiefs throats, um, and, and then, you know, protect Brady the way they did against the Rams, who played a great defensive game. So yes, Trent Brown's very valuable. Does that mean that they will pay him Commiserate with his value, with what like his open market value would be? No. And, uh, left tackle franchise tag money is not cheap. I would anticipate that they would rather invest in the defense and Trey Flowers, a guy they drafted. I would guess they go Trey Flowers over, over Trent Brown in this spot, but wouldn't be surprised at all if they let both test the market and then say, Hey, if you want to come back to a place where you can win Super Bowls, by all means, come on back. CJ Mosley of the Baltimore Ravens listed here too. Um, that's tricky. He's a middle linebacker, piles up tackles, multiple Pro Bowls, but can you give him $15 million for a non-pass rusher? I don't know. It's, it's a lot of money. 
that's, that's a lot of money. Mosley might get a lot of money in uh, in the open market, and the Ravens might be too worried about other positions to franchise tag him. So that that one is maybe the biggest question mark at all, of them all out there. And then uh, on the other names, low on the priority list, Anthony Barr. I I don't think he's not getting tagged. They, the 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 Vikings wanted to pay Anthony Barr. They would have paid him if they thought they could pay him. They would have paid him. You don't spend all the money they spent on those guys to tag Barr. Now, the one exception here is that they paid the guys they need to pay. So they don't have to worry about, you know, paying Daniel Hunter or like tagging Daniel Hunter or tagging Stefan Diggs. They've taken care of everybody else. So if they want to tag Barr, they could do it. It's just going to be $15 million again for a linebacker. And that's a lot considering he doesn't rush the passer. Jawan James of the Miami Dolphins. Mm, man. You put a, you put a tackle on the open market in 2019. He is going to get crazy money. Just look at Nate Solder. Juwan James will get paid in a situation where there's no money out there. We don't know how Chris Greer is going to operate. We don't know what Brian Flores wants to do here. This could be a situation where, I don't know. I mean, like these New England, like, you know, Flores comes from New England. Does he want to put a New England stamp on it? Will he want to use the tag? Will they want to totally rebuild? Will be a little bit of tanking involved here? Um, they do have other guys they're going to worry about. So is it possible they just let Juwan James walk in the market? Yes. If he does, they will not get, they, like he's not coming back. He will go out there and get paid big money. Um, Jason Verrett and Ziggy Ansa are the other two guys. I would be stunned if Verrett was, was tagged. It's way too much money for a guy who cannot stay healthy. If you're the Chargers, just just say, "Look, dude, we'll give you a, a lower end deal, and we want you to stick around." Um, Verrett's a stud. If he's healthy and on the field, he's a monster. But when he's not, I mean, he's just you know he's hurt, and that's the bottom line. And uh, Ziggy Ansah coming off a tag from last year, he made seventeen million dollars. There's no way they're giving him a hundred twenty percent, you know, bump up from that. I mean, they're not. Come on, you're not paying the guy twenty million dollars on a one year deal. I think you'd give him a regular contract if he's willing to stick in Detroit. I would guess that the move for Zidiansa is go and find a better scheme that fits his skill set. Or or maybe, you know, try and hit the open market and say, Hey, I'm a pass rusher, give me a three year deal where I can, you know, make uh I don't know, seventeen to twenty million a year and and hope that somebody is a sucker on the second tier of the market and pays him because his production, his injury history, his his inability to consistently get after the passer makes it too tough for me personally to hand him a monster deal. What I will do, however, is uh, hand uh, Ben Kerchival the mic, and we will do that right now. Well, we'll do it right after this break. Take a quick break, and then we'll break down some AAF with Ben Kerchival. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. 
The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. All right, welcome back now to talk some AAF again. Big Kerchival, what's going on, buddy? Not much, dude. Just living the dream. Still like, yeah, living the dream, and also just like still like toweling myself off after that San Antonio Orlando game. That was that gave me the sweat. That was good. <laughs> Did um, what? Uh, what? What's your? So we're two weeks into the AAF. I, I mean, I don't want to. I'm not going to say that the second week was less exciting, but I do think there was a little bit of that opening weekend bump back, right? Where maybe, oh, yeah. maybe, you know, you didn't see quite as much buzz. Now, um, having, uh, you know, of course, Duke NC State on Saturday didn't help matters. That's a marquee, but I'm just kidding. Uh, but the, uh, but the, you know, <laughs> like, there was, you know, yeah, like, that was the biggest sports story of the weekend. Right. That's uh, exactly what that was. That's right. I do, no, I mean, I do think the All Star game and like All Star weekend probably, you know, takes like, the AAF in its first weekend was basically alone on the stage outside of college basketball. And then, you know, this weekend right. you have to deal with the all-star, you know, all-star break and all that. So I think, I think that matters and that changes things. What, uh, mm-hmm. what's your big takeaway from the second weekend of the Alliance of American football? So it's kind of, I don't want to say it's, it's a good thing that the AAF got buried. I, I find it to be maybe more of a silver lining. So you mentioned the all-star break. I mean, Daytona 500 was on Sunday too. So it was actually like, it was a busy sports day on Sunday. And so the AAF's just not going to get a ton of pub. And, but I, I think that's okay for now as this con as this, um, this league starts to try to find its sea legs a little bit. There's for most of these teams, not all of them, but most of them are still trying to work a lot of kinks out sure. mainly on offense. So when you can, kind of go off the grid a little bit and try to continue to work on your product. I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. Besides, I, you mentioned week one, you get a lot of the curiosity factor to it. And then, you know, week two, it's, it's going to dip a little bit. Long term for them, I think you, you want your viewership to be able to maintain when you start getting into March and April, when you're getting towards the end of the season. And that's when you're going to be in a lot of, not only say a dead period, but the NBA regular season is still going on. NHL regular season is still going on. I think people are going to be looking for something a little bit different. I think that's when the AF is going to rebound a little bit. The only maybe regret of the weekend is that because of the Daytona 500 and because of the all-star weekend, people probably didn't tune in to see Orlando and San Antonio. Mm. And not only was that the best game of the first two weeks, I'll go out and just, it's probably going to be one of the top two games of the entire season because it, it, to me, that was the AAF realized. Like when people had the vision of pro football in the springtime, 
what they saw in their mind's eye with that game because it had everything. It had offense, which if anybody has paid even an iota of attention to the AAF for the first two weeks, you know that that's such a premium right now because (laughs) offensive lines aren't that good. Quarterbacks can be shaky. Receivers are dropping balls left and right. I mean, it's just very clear there's development needed, and that's what it is, the development league. But it had offense. It had big plays. It had fat guy touchdowns. It was like the Alamo Dome was rocking. I mean, it was everything that you wanted the AAF to be. And look, someone has to lose that game. Well, actually, I say technically you don't have to lose the game. You can end in a tie. But in this instance, like someone was going to lose that game, San Antonio lost. But, Will, I'm telling you, after watching that, I don't know how they're not one of the top three teams in, in the alliance overall. I mean, that was absolutely just – it was perfect. And it's really good to have Steve Spurrier back on the sideline because he just absolutely does not care. He Garrett Gilbert had – and it, it, so what's amazing to me about Gilbert is if anybody really knows that guy's story – I mean, he was a journeyman in the NFL. But you've got to remember, coming into Texas – he was the Gatorade National Player of the Year yeah. coming out of Austin uh, uh, Lake Travis High School. And so much hype. I mean, they put – Mac Brown put all of his eggs, every last one of his eggs in the Garrett Gilbert basket. And holy cow, it did not work out at Texas. <laughs> I mean, they ruined the absolute hell out of him. He goes to SMU, kind of rebounds under June Jones. And then just sort of gets tossed around the NFL for a little bit. And it's just, and finally, I think he's with someone in Spurrier who can get, who can showcase all those years ago what a lot of people thought that he had. And he's out here throwing deep dimes to Jalen Marshall and Charles Johnson, who's another incredible success story of this league. And they're, and they're down the whole game and they managed to come back on the road. And, and get like two huge touchdowns in the fourth quarter. It, I mean, it was just so perfect. And again, for a, a pro football league that's just starting up and you're not going to draw these huge home crowds, you're going to get a lot of these like empty stadium pictures and looks. And the Alamo Dome is the perfect place for, for an AAF team. And they have absolutely embraced the, the commander's and for like the second straight week, they're drawing like 30,000 people. If that was everything that I think people wanted an AAF game to be, I just, I just hope we get more like that moving forward. I think there'll be more of a rarity, but that was for three hours. That, that was really enjoyable football on Sunday. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the AAF.com because in the last week, and I've been like, I've been checking out the web, you know, like last week on the podcast, I mentioned we're talking with Brady Quinn. That I was like, man, this is infuriating. You go to their website and they have literally no statistics on the website. They have, yeah, uh, there's like screenshots of their of their of their game stats and information <laughs> uh, back end thing. And now when you go there, if you a if you click on a summary, you can you can see the stats very quickly and easily. It's a good box score, and you can watch the replay on the page. Like it has a full like if I click. 
uh, mm-hmm. Salt Lake Stallions, Birmingham Iron, it goes immediately and it streams very fast. You can tell the technology is really good. Uh, it fires up the, the full replay of that game. You can do that for all four games if you want to go watch it. Um, also on the website are easily accessible highlight plays. So like you can go and see every single, um, San Antonio yeah. Commanders, Orlando Apollos, my Orlando Apollos, um, huge win for them. And of course they won on the pick six from Keith Riser. And you're right. Like you look at these Garrett Gilbert passes. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be on an NFL roster, but I think at least two of these guys and maybe three in terms of um, Luis Perez, Garrett Gilbert, and John Walford are going to get looks from NFL teams because quarterback, you know, there's such a scarcity of quarterbacks at the NFL level and, and of course, yeah. even at the AAF level. I mean, to me, that's that's the big takeaway, too, is that, like, you know, these there are legitimate quarterbacks in this league, guys who could maybe make a difference as developmental guys. And Garrett Gilbert, as you pointed out, I mean, this you know, he was on the Panthers um, as a backup pretty recently, and he's you know, he's twenty seven years yeah. old. But I mean, he's not you know he's not. I mean, I guess is he still in the Panthers? Is he? Does, how does that work? No, he. I mean, he got leased up for a couple of weeks when Cam got hurt, just just because yeah. they needed a body and he knew the offense. But then they waived him. I think. Yeah, yeah, he's waiting. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, because yeah. they have um, Heineke as the backup. That's right. So yeah, but I mean, like, yeah. I mean, this is a guy that you know, he's twenty-seven. Like he, I mean, Kurt Warner won a Super Bowl MVP after showing up late. It, it's okay to develop late, and I think that, like, as you pointed out, that is the point of this. You know, the American, the AAF is that, you know, not bring us your. You know, well, you bring us your huddled masses or anything, but it's like, all right, yeah. you know, some guys need a need a shot to land with the right coach, and, and as you point out, Steve Spurrier might just be the right guy for Garrett Gilbert. Um, either by the way, I told everybody to take the over in this game. The is this this is the only game that went over on the weekend, I believe. Yeah, it is, and like an idiot, I told everyone to take the under because mm. I'm still like paranoid of you know no points, and even though you, I am sitting there. I, I looked at the line and I said. Okay, it's Spurrier indoors on a fast track. I should be telling people to take the over, <laughs> but I'm still, I'm still just. You were buying. So you were buying into the San Antonio Commanders defense because I was reading your. I, I was. Yeah, I was, I was. Yeah, you thought you think it's. Oh. It might be legit, but I mean, like Steve Spur. Here's the thing: is like Steve Spurrier is going to spread you out and get guys open, and you're not talking about yeah. at this level a defense that's working. You know. Like with the way that these teams came together, and and, and you can't blitz. Yeah, you can't blitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can't blitz. So I, I, I don't know. Anyway, that was that was maybe not my finest call, but that's one of those two where you're you're super glad to be wrong because that that's just it leads to a really fun game. That was I don't want to call it, and I'm not even so worried about the over on that one. I don't even really consider this a bad beat, but I took San Antonio plus six and a half. Well, mm. that pick six plus the two point conversion put it at eight, mm. and I was like, "Ah, oh, man, <laughs> like that's you know, it's it's not quite a bad beat, but it's like in the ballpark of a bad beat." So that was, uh, but that was so that was fun. But to your point about quarterbacks, this is another big thing that I it's just becoming very apparent very quickly is. Offense, a hundred. Everyone will always says defense wins championships. Offense, one hundred percent, is going to win the AAF because yeah. it's just it's at such a premium. And even I think as you go forward with this season, there real there's no coincidence that the three to four best teams, the top half of the AAF, have good quarterback situations. Orlando has Garrett Gilbert. Clearly that's working out. Uh, San Antonio has, has John, uh, John, excuse me, not John Walford, uh, Logan Woodside, who, 
you know, it kind of comes and goes a little bit with him, but obviously he was throwing some strikes on Sunday. I think Marquise Williams, people, people got oddly mad when <laughs> Mike Riley put in Marquise Williams as like a change of pace and, and let him run around a little bit. And, and I'm sitting there like, you realize that like none of this really matters, right? Like this isn't the NFL. They're looking to get guys reps and you can be mad about the disruption of the flow of offense all you want, but that's not real. Their primary goal is to like not <laughs> win the championship. Their their primary goal is to develop players. It's so like, like it's like, like it's like it's like minor league baseball. Like yeah, like you strange people got strangely mad at Marquise Williams coming into the game for like one series, and they they scored on it anyway. The field goal was fine. But anyway, so like San Antonio, good quarterback situation. Uh, Birmingham, good quarterback situation with Luis Perez. Arizona, good quarterback situation. With, with John Walford. So it, it's no coincidence that those teams have a, a set quarterback and at least a good enough offensive line that they can have a possession passing game. And, and I think those are your four best teams right there. So I don't know that any quarterback that I'm seeing so far is, is, is able to start in the NFL, but they can get back to the NFL. Like I think Garrett Gilbert is on a fast track to get back there. Uh, I know for a fact that a, a number of teams have already inquired about Luis Perez uh, getting up to, to the league. He's, he, I think his ceiling is limited, but Will, he's so cerebral. Like, he's one of those guys who's so unbelievably smart and can digest information really quickly that there, there's always a place on an NFL roster for somebody like that. For sure. And the fact that he's now able to get some reps and get some tape on him, which he just didn't have before, at least not at a real high level. I think that's what's going to help him. And then, you know, Walford, again, he's, you know, had his ups and his downs, but, you know, you go and you throw for, you know, a good number of yards in in the AAF against guys who, you know, at one point played in the league, then, you know, he's going to get a shot too. So to me, the long-term health of the AAF really, really does come down to, what kind of quarterback play we're getting. And I think that's going to be an interesting storyline and movement going forward. Do guys come down from the NFL and try to get some reps? Do the coaches adjust their schemes a little bit to be a little bit more wide open and try to have the trickle up effect where guys coming out of college who aren't necessarily a fit or ready for a pro scheme can go out there and and be in an offense that more benefits their skill set. I think the movement on this is going to be huge because not to oversimplify it, but you need good quarterback play and the, the gap between the teams in the AF who have it and the gap and, and those who don't is very, a very apparent. Well, let me ask you about that. So the Arizona hot shots win 20 to 18 over the Memphis express um, and they were down yeah. 12, nothing at halftime. They didn't score anything. Is that Memphis's, Defense being better than we expected, or is that John Walford struggling in his second game? Because he had a really nice first week. Yeah, so he, he that was, it, it was a couple things. There was almost a point where I'm sitting there going, is, is Arizona, after putting up 38 points in week one, yeah. going to lose to Christian Hackenberg? And then I realized it's not Christian Hackenberg. It's the fact that the hot shots had, look, I count turnovers on down as turnovers. They're, you yeah. gave the ball back. So it's, they had five turnovers, Will. Arizona did. Yeah. They had two fourth down conversions that didn't that didn't go. They had two interceptions from Walford. 
they had, one fumble, and I want to say four, if not all of those turnovers, were in their own territory. Mm. The fact that they were only down 12 to nothing at like halftime is almost a, a miracle. So the thing that I liked about Arizona, and probably while they'll still be, they won't be number one in the power rankings this week, but they'll still, still be like number two, is because, again, explosiveness on, your, on offense is at a premium, and that's what you need to win games. Well, Arizona scored 14 points in four minutes on 11 plays and, and drove like 170 yards. So when you still have that explosiveness, and Wolford went like, I want to say six of seven passing with two touchdowns on like his final two drives, mm. or like the final three drives. So when you can turn on the Jets like that, I think that still speaks to how good Arizona is. It certainly was not their best. Uh, performance in the first half. I think going on the road is tough. Memphis, I knew, was even though they're not very good, was going to circle the wagons a little bit after getting shut out against Birmingham. So, you know, good effort there. But again, I, it's, it's really about the explosiveness that you have on offense. If you have it, you're going to be really good in this league. Mm. So you're still going to just sit here and disrespect my – Orlando Apollos and and not no make... they're going to be number they're going to be number one in my power. Oh, they said the the Arizona was still going to be number one. No, no, they'll still be near the top. Uh, okay, they're okay, not okay. Gonna, No, no, no. Orlando uh, Orlando is the best team, right? I mean, like I've I've, yeah. I've chosen wisely with my uh, with my yeah yeah. I mean, I mean, I how mean, did you how did you choose how did you choose Orlando? By the way, how did you come across? How did you do that? Uh, Spurrier strictly because of Spurrier. Okay, I'm not even kidding. Like I like I, I no, I, that's good. I. I have I have my 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 viewer not a viewers guy but like my guide to how you should pick a team yeah sort of Premier League esque and everyone has that, that's what I like is everyone has their own reasons and I was initially going to sort of stay out of that and then I thought you know what like I'm not a robot <laughs> I can still be objective without yeah. you know being a total homer so I'm going to go ahead and pick a team so I picked a team. There you go. Who'd you, wait, who'd you go with? Are you Orlando too? Or are you Arizona? San Antonio. You're San Antonio. Oh man. My, my Orlando Apollos took down your San Antonio. Uh, and <laughs> well, fact- you know, what's, what's funny is I, is I, I grappled with this. I went back and forth and I said, okay, am I going to pick a team? Am I not going to pick a team? Yeah. All right. What the hell? I'm going to, I'll pick a team, San Antonio, because I like the fact that, you know, the out, they've, they've really embraced this pro football team. Like the Alamo Dome is a, is a true home field advantage. Right. In a, in a brand new football league. Love that. Obviously, geographically, I'm close because I'm in Austin. Also, Mike Riley's like the nicest person that you'll ever talk to. So it's all these reasons I go, okay, I'm going with San Antonio. And then they probably lose. And I go, I'm sorry. I, that was me. That was, I was the reason they lost this weekend. But yeah, San Antonio is the team I'm going with. And I guess I'll, you know, you got to stick through with the, with the bad times and the good. <laughs> I mean, remember the remember the week one. If ever you if ever you get sad, no, yeah, I mean, right? Yeah. Um, any other any other big takeaways from this week? I mean, and, and do you think that it's going to be a situation where because look, this happens in the NFL and it happens in every sport, but like, is there going to be um, early onset apathy for teams who are not very good? Like again, the Memphis Express don't look like a team that are going to be super awesome to watch because of the, mainly because of their Hackenberg quarterback situation. Do you think it's just going to be yeah. people kind of check out on Memphis or is it, you know, people who are interested in the AAF are just, uh, you know, watching every game they can get. It's going to be tough for some of these markets. 
um, I don't even know if it's the losses. It's just if you're not, if you're just not competitive and you're just not fun to watch. I mean, I'll give Memphis this: they were up on Arizona, and that was, you know, I I think you know they had a decent thing going, and you know if you can kind of keep building on that, I think Memphis will have something, but. Yeah, that is a that is a tough thing for for this thing moving forward is because you're trying to inject something into a local market, but you need to keep giving reasons for people to come back, and and that's why I'm stressing so much about offense and quarterbacks and and something that is a, an entertaining product. Like San Antonio lost yesterday. You think anyone is not going back to a Commanders game because of that? No, no because right. it was it was a great atmosphere in a great game and it gave them reason to be hopeful. Uh, they just happened to run into the team that's playing the best football at the moment. So, but yeah, if, if you don't have good quarterback play and, and you're, you're dull on offense, I mean, that's, that's going to be tough to follow. I, I went to North Texas in college when they were winning like one game a year. <laughs> it is real easy to check out, man. I mean, it is real easy to be like, I am not part of this. I don't want anything to do with it because it's just, there's no reward in what you're going to. Uh, one year, it's, I think it'll be understandable if there's a little bit of drop-off. It's when you get into, if you can get into year two with this thing, year three with this thing, year four with this thing. I think that's where Bill Polian's you know, regional allocation uh, system needs to, to pay off. I think that's where quarterback play needs to pay off. That's where adjusting your schemes to better fit what you have with your quarterback uh, and your wide receiver situation needs to pay off. So I'm not going to get too on regional markets if they tend to check out a little bit. If Memphis goes, you know, one and nine this year, I think that's understandable. You can build that back up in successive years, but you need to make some changes. Yeah, and I think one of the things too is like, let's say the let's say Orlando go, let's say Orlando wins the AAF championship, and Spurrier and Gracie and Garrett Gilbert are being you know dumped, Gatorade dumped all over them. But like, and then if Garrett Gilbert gets another shot in the NFL, I think that almost like that's what, that's what the AAF needs, right? Is somebody yeah. one of these players to get a look in the NFL, and like whether it's him or Luis Perez or Walford or whoever it is, they get a look, right. and then all of a sudden, other quarterbacks who maybe don't have a, you know, are like, hey, I got to play in the AAF. Like this guy got to go down there, light it up with Spurrier, and as a result, he's you know he's back in the league, and and people are there's buzz about him as opposed to he's just a backup. And, and people will point to the quarterbacks for this. And, and, and to your point, yes, everyone wants a Kurt Warner story, right? I mean, everyone wants someone to come up and, and play huge. You might find that more at another big time position like wide receiver. So if you want Charles to stay Johnson. with the Apollos for like Charles Johnson, right? Yeah. I mean, was, was with the Vikings for a little bit, came out of, I think it was Grand Valley State. I mean, like small school guy and really just, I mean, came out of nowhere. And I was watching him a lot on Sunday and obviously the production was there. He had like seven catches on 10 targets, almost 200 yards touchdown, but just developmentally, he looked really, really good. I mean, his routes were really tight and efficient. Um, I mean, just great moves, great skill uh, in terms of him just being outside one-on-one um, showed, you know, vertical, uh, vertical game showed stuff underneath. I mean, he was, he was really had, a, a, I think, a good route tree working for him. And if he goes to the NFL, 
and that carries over and he can stay consistent with that, it doesn't have to be a quarterback thing. It can be Charles Johnson went to the AAF and thrived. And I, it, so really all you need is that first domino to fall. I don't think it matters the position, but you need that first domino to fall where you can, you can point to it and say, he came from the AF, and I think that's where the momentum will start to pick up. Yeah, and Charles Johnson's a guy who's had like some success at the NFL level. I mean, you know, like he, right? yeah. I mean, like he hadn't. I mean, it's not like he came out of nowhere, right? I mean, so like if it, that's the that's the goal, isn't it? Is like maybe you, um, you know, maybe you end up like you know struggling to really latch on because he was, I think, he was a seventh round pick in 2013. And then he had three years with the Vikings where he's actually putting up kind of decent numbers and just sort of never really clicked. And now it's like, all right, he goes down, right. the, he goes down the AAF and puts up those numbers and maybe he can come back and do the same thing at the NFL. I, I think, especially wide receiver because it's like, you know, it translates, right? It's not a hard, it's not a hard leap to make to figure out, all right, I'm going from there to there. Anybody else that stands out to you, Ben, in the, um, in the second week that, that maybe made a, a name for themselves? Like David Cobb scored. I love David Cobb. Uh, I tell you, so this is going to sound like a super Orlando and, and San Antonio heavy uh, podcast. But they scored 65 Harris, points. Harris, what's that? They scored 65 points or like 66 points. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, Kenneth Farrow, the running back for San Antonio. Um, yeah. Balance, power, hands out of the backfield, trucking people, truck stick ratings in 99. Yeah. I mean, he, he was, I think he was a total package. And, uh, man, he, he looks really, really good. Really liked what I saw out of him as well. I, to me, that was like when you watch college football and you watch like Alabama, uh, Clemson and you go, holy cow, there's like, like 20 future NFL guys on that field right now. That's kind of how I viewed Orlando San Antonio a little bit. And that it, maybe not in the same volume of numbers, but you go like, man, there might really be like five or six dudes out of this game who go on and make NFL rosters after this year. So I, that's, that to me was why it was so successful was because you actually had guys who, who not only have a chance to make it again, but really have, have shown up. And, and even just guys who were like non-existent in week one, who was it like uh, was uh, Ayers, uh, Demarcus Ayers for yeah. Houston. Like, just like got activated suddenly for like week two. And then he goes out and he has like a one handed catch and just has some just insane production. So I, I think there was the most skill that I have seen in a single game. Absolutely came Sunday afternoon. And I like too, that you see uh, like pro football focus, which supplies the stats to the AF, I believe has a, um, yeah. you know, has a special PFF AF account, uh, that I'm looking at right now. And they do game recaps for all these things. It's like Luis Perez, 24, 38 for 184 yards. But when you do adjusted completion percentages and in, include the drive, right. like you're, when you're playing with developmental guys, you're going to have more drops, et cetera, et cetera. So in, in uh, I like that PFF is using these advanced stats to sort of break down, you know, w- different ways that guys might have had success, you know, average depth of target and all of that. I mean, it's, it, it, to me, to me, that makes it uh, even more interesting. And by the way, Trent Richardson, uh, fourteen missed uh, missed tackles through two weeks. So uh, Trent Richardson out there, thriving. Trent Richardson, T. Rich has T. Rich has been been getting a lot of crap. And to be sure, he's more maybe volume than, yeah. than anything else at the moment. But you know, his offensive line ain't great. He's out there in the fourth quarter, just 
moving piles, man. Like when they need two yards, well, T. Rich is three point three yards per attempt, man. <laughs> like you know, he'll get you that extra yard that you need. And you know, he caught seven balls out of that backfield um, on on Saturday, so he's shown some good hands. He was battling a hamstring injury. He still went out there and did stuff. So people will, you know, have their narrative and they're going to frame players how they want to and frame the stats how they want to. But I don't, I don't think he's been nearly as, as bad as everyone's been saying. Uh, you know, I, I've been on the Luis Perez story um, all this past week. And, you know, someone was asking me, like, why do people care about him? He had zero touchdowns in week one. And, like, you can't just look at the stats. And that's your only thing for this. I, I mean, you have to know, again, that this is a development league, and they're looking at, okay, what can he do? What can he not do? And certainly, Luis Perez has a ceiling. I mean, he has limitations. Not a super athletic guy. Uh, not the strongest arm that you're going to see. But what can he do? And I, I think there's, for the, the duration of this season, that's going to be the operative question. There's going to be a lot of asking, what can he do? And then how do you adjust your coaching style and your play calls to fit what can he do? All right, you got to get out of here. you got stuff to do. Um, i got to go jump on a train. It's a long story. I'll fill people in about it later. But in the meantime, follow Ben Kirchival on Twitter at Ben Kirchival. Read the AAF takeaways and uh, and get ready to look from the, on the lookout for some power ranking and some, and some picks. Thanks, as always, for uh, hopping on, my man. Yeah, you bet. <laughs>